0: That's my radio. Keep your hands off that. You've got some gadget in here that's bringing in our frequencies, and the laboratory's going to find it. I could give you some wild tale of being a Russian astronaut, but the plain fact of the matter is, I'm from Mars. Hello once again, everyone, and welcome to our podcast. Uh, my name is Matthew Porter. I'm Ian Porter. I'm his dad, and he's my son, and welcome back to the Bixby Boys, the Internet's triumphant Bill Bixby fancast.
1: <laughs> yep, we're back at it again. We, you found another Bill Bixby thing for us to watch.
0: Right. This really, of course, is the i double podcast, but again, for the third time, we are talking about a Bill Bixby vehicle, an he- interplanetary vehicle. <laughs> Oh, uh, th- he's a fun actor. He I, is. He is just so charming in everything he's in.
1: My goodness, the man is just you know pure charisma stat in a in an unexpected way.
0: <laughs> in a, in a way that still makes him a very relatable everyman. Yes, he he plays he plays very good everyman. So the one we're talking about now is the earliest TV show that I'm aware of that he was in. Okay, called My Favorite Martian.
1: I'm going to get this right out of the way. I've been very confused watching this show purely because there's a place nearby that used to be around called My Favorite Muffin. And so I keep on like sitting down to watch this then and thinking, dang it, now I want a muffin every time (laughs) because the names are similar. But yeah, My Favorite Martian is just an opening that tells you that that's an opening that linguistically has a lot to it. It's yo. it's it's possessive, it's favorite, which implies there's more than one Martian you've met in order to pick a preference, and then Martian, referencing that it's not here. Well, so this is going to be a thing about, mul- like, selecting one out of multiple Martians is pretty much what that comes out as, as a name, <laughs> and I'm intrigued.
0: And it's a little bit of a... Um... Uh, a little bit of a twist, I think The uh, there were some movies uh, years before this with titles like My Favorite Wife and things like that, so I think it was it was a catchy, jokey sort of title to begin with, and the alliteration with Martian, of course, helps. But now, at least at the beginning, there's just the one Martian that we see. Oh, yeah. And I mean, this is a show whose initial setup is...
1: uh Okay, those first episodes drove me up a wall because it's a Martian comes down to observe Earthlings and then just immediately wrecks Bill Bixby's life at first.
0: Right, so Bill Bixby is not playing the, uh, the titular Martian. No, but as we were describing, he plays a good everyman. He's playing the person who has to put up with the Martian. Right, he's playing, I guess, I think he lives somewhere in, in South or Central California. I forget if they say where. He's playing Tim O'Hara a young newspaper man handsome charming guy and ray walston plays the martian oh,
1: ray walston is one of those actors i know i've seen him in other stuff but he's got this he's got this ability to just you know stand in a room and and look like the guy you should be worried about how do you mean that he's he's a very expressive faced actor who knows how to be subtle and is distinctive in just the right way. I'm trying to think of a good modern comparison. I almost want to say oh, he has the same sort of ability that uh current Jason Statham does to be able to stand in a room <laughs> and look just the right amount of awkwardly out of place that you can't not look at him.
0: I I can't say that in a million years I would have expected the the comparison of of Ray Walston and Jason Jason Statham in that way, but, but I really want to see the movie The Transporter starring Ray Walston at this point. To go back in time and produce that.
1: You can imagine that though. That's what I'm saying. It's the ability to. St- it's the ability to. Um, imagine a imagine an actor who you could be who could tell the scene is you have to stand at the counter waiting for your coffee while everyone else around you gets in a fight and you still have to be in the middle of the big action scene the center of attention because you're keeping the the audience focused on you waiting for your coffee
0: he yeah he does have that kind of presence that, I that's suppose. the sort of presence
1: yeah. you need to be able to 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 have the mild frustration in the midst of everything else and keep the attention on that smaller thing.
0: And Ray Walston's one of these actors, it's a little bit Brimley-ish in that from a relatively young age, he looked, he had this indeterminate old guy sort of look to him. So that, you know, you can see him a decade or two, a couple of decades later in uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. He doesn't look that different than he did in 1963, playing uh, the the title character of My Favorite Martian, mm-hmm. and I, and I understand that this is one of those roles where it is the role that he is best known for by far, and yet it's the role he least liked, didn't want to talk about, stop saying that you remember me from My Favorite Martian. Maybe he got over that at some point, but every a, a lot of actors have that kind of role. Where yes, it's what I'm most famous for. It's not necessarily what I'm most proud of, but hey, was it was fun? I think he did a good job. And this went for what five seasons? Three that I know of. Only three. Just three. Okay, it was very successful, at least in the first half of its run. But um, but uh, it went for three seasons.
1: Okay, so we did see something from each season. Then we did. Yeah,
0: and to give some of the setup in case anybody hasn't seen this. I mentioned that uh, Bill Bixby plays Tim O'Hara, a young newspaper man. And in the pilot of this uh, series, some kind of unidentified flying object has a, a close encounter, shows up on the radar and such, of a, a rocket plane test, of which were kind of a big deal back in the early uh, space program days. And it turns out that it was a flying saucer or spaceship from Mars on his way home, Bill Bixby's character comes across the, the wreckage of this spaceship, or the damaged, grounded spaceship, and inside he finds the pilot, Ray Walston as a Martian. Who immediately just like,
1: like get me out of here, get me to your place. Like there's, There is something a little less pick up a stranded hitchhiker and a little bit more uh, give me your vehicle. About the way he winds up forcing (laughs) his way to, like, he kind of, he kind of socially manipulates Tim O'Hara into bringing him home and giving him a place to hide out from the military.
0: You're making it sound a little bit more like Ray Walston as the Terminator now. Your clothes, your motorcycle, give them to me.
1: (laughs) Yes, but with uh, sci-fi sound effects.
0: Yeah, the, the character, at least when we first meet him. Uh, it's He's very superior, very supercilious. He's from this advanced civilization on Mars, apparently. And very, very much ordering uh, uh, this Earthling that he met around. He's injured, but not seriously so, but he needs care. So O'Hara picks him up and, and, and puts him in his car and brings him home. And we learn early on that he's like an anthropologist from... Mars. So, while he's, he's visited Earth before, but he's lived on Mars all his life, and he knows a lot about Earth because he's studied it for hundreds of years. Now, apparently, Martians also live for a long time. Yeah, he's he, it gives him the ability to be
1: written to reference any point in history he, they want to and say, oh, I wish I had this back then. Or like, oh, you should have met this person. He, was, he would like you. Kind of like, they give him that time traveler I can... I can name drop history book.
0: Yeah, they're talking about a camera and he just com- uh, subtly uh, uh, drops in. You know, if only Matthew Brady and I had had this during the Civil War. Things like that. <laughs> All these little throwaway jokes that are fun. And we learn early on that not only does he live for a long time, but he has the ability to, to disappear and to become invisible. He has the ability to move things around telekinetically. He has some ability to read minds as long as the person he's trying to read isn't doing anything to actively block him. That's a nice little limitation they gave him. And oh, and he's got these antennas that extend from his head when he's using some of these powers. The antenna extension and
1: retraction is honestly one of the weirdest special effects I've seen in a while, just because it's really just a little thing behind his head that they slide these up out of. Like, I, I'm... i without seeing someone actively doing that it's just awkward i don't know what else to say it's just kind of awkward every time
0: <laughs> yeah it's like you know do you need some privacy uncle I mean, <laughs> yeah it's horror. very weird like should we be seeing this on television
1: yeah the the, the but honestly that entire first episode the the it is. It is trying to do a lot of setup very quickly because there is. I wouldn't call this directly high concept, but I'd call it slightly obtuse concept at times. There's like they're throwing a lot at you
0: quick. He's a Martian that shows up in an every man's life, and and early on has to pretend to be his uncle. It's. And he has superpowers. That's pretty darn high concept. <laughs> okay, I've read some weirder, <laughs> higher concept. Yeah. This is mid concept for me, but, but certainly still. <laughs> for 1960s TV, this is fairly high concept. Good point. Although, you know, high concept TV was a pretty, uh, uh, a pretty common thing at the time. I mean, we watched the Adams Family. I think that was from around the same time. Okay, yeah. When I put in
1: Adams Family time frame context, it's, it's understandable. They're definitely putting a lot of things I would have expected to be moved into a later episode, but they're setting up.
0: This list of powers and the setup yeah, and they 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 add to that, they modify it a little bit as they go on, but yeah, you know, they had a pretty a pretty good list of things they wanted to establish, and they do so fairly well and you mentioned some of the effects like the uh, the antennae and the uh, uh, the telekinesis and things. none of these are tremendously groundbreaking special effects but I think a certain amount of care and effort went into doing these week after week on a a network sitcom in the early '60s. Mm-hmm. This is
1: this is a this is a sitcom that owes more to Ernie Kovacs than I would have expected in terms of some of its its intriguing bits of set design and playing around and overlaying images. Things
0: that's a good point. They do a fair amount of that sort of cutaway and composite and other things to uh, to have you. Know, Multiple copies of the same person, and of course the telekinesis and the invisibility and things like that. You're right. There's there's a certain amount of the uh, uh, the experimentation of Ernie Kovacs that they have to uh, to thank for doing this. Mm-hmm. And that's why this was an
1: interesting watch for me because uh, I mean, just in that first episode, we get Bill Bixby pretending to carry an invisible man up a flight of stairs, which is some wonderful acting.
0: Yeah, a little an interesting bit of mime work there from uh, from Bixby. We get a bit of really cool,
1: interesting prop design from that era with some of the costuming choices for Martin as the uh the code name for the Martian becomes.
0: Yeah, he goes undercover, so to speak, as um Tim's Uncle Martin O'Hara. Yep. So uh we get some fun costuming on Martin. We get some fun special
1: effects with the uh the telekinesis and the the sound effects stuff. And all of that. And then it is all placed within a sitcom setup that makes me cringe and curl into a ball again at some of its moments. It is so much awkward comedy yeah, they're, of, they're, of, of Bill Bixby's character just getting the shortest end of the shortest stick they could find.
0: There is your kryptonite in, in the way that most sitcoms are, in the, the humor of the awkward and the, the borderline embarrassment, or the full-on embarrassment. We'll put somebody in an awkward situation and watch them do awkward things until things miraculously get better at the end of twenty four minutes
1: and there's so much of of uh, of the character
0: Martin at first that seems to be actively making things worse interesting i, I early on, I think you're right it's he has a very he doesn't know how to read a room he doesn't know when he's being awkward and he kind of makes things worse. He can read all the minds in a room just fine yeah. and yet. As the show goes on, we kind of see him understanding Tim's life more and more, and knowing when to do things to make things better, and help him get out of these weird, uh, embarrassing jams. Oh, yeah. Because we watched,
1: what, the first, like, two episodes of season one there in a row? Right. And it was was a lot of, of, like, my abilities have made your life awful, Tim. I know that. Here, I'm gonna make it worse for my own gain. What? Stop it. Okay, fine. And then we watched some some like later season episodes, some things from two and three, and it was like the two of us are just you know you know back to back against an awkward situation of life that has hit both of us and we're attempting to solve it. Or there was even one where Uncle Martin is having trouble with something. This is a personal conflict for the Martian character. And Tim rolls with it and makes suggestions and covers to help Martin get over his thing. It's like, whoa, when did this dynamic happen? I mean, part of it's because we skipped through episodes to be able to watch a a smattering from across the series. But early season one and mid-season two to late season three dynamic is extremely different in a a way I didn't expect progression.
0: This is going a little bit out on a limb, but I would say there's something in this series that I sometimes see in things made by Joss Whedon in that it's (gasps) about a discovered or found family and... These characters, they, they, they are thrown together, they recognize they have a bond, they come to care about one another and to work for one another's benefit, and they become a family, and there's a point at which that becomes explicit, where, you know, when Martin is thinking about maybe he go- should go home to Mars, he's got family there, he's got friends there, he's got work there, but now he's got family here on Earth too, and he would miss that family so terribly. He really does begin to feel like an uncle to to Tim. Oh, you're right. That's an aspect I hadn't even considered. There's more in there than I thought. Now, he doesn't kill vampires or curse in Chinese, but still, there's something kind of Joss Whedon-ish about it. I could definitely picture Ray Walston cursing in Chinese, for what that's worth. I could, too. I could really picture that. That's that's too easy to picture. Oh, my goodness.
1: That's one interesting thing. There's a... I'm imagining what this what you're just describing there in there is a lot of the Martian aesthetic that they go for in this, which is not very different or alien, which is part of why it's able to work. He is a little a little snooty about things and has these abilities, but he's not unapproachable, and that's important for being able to have him immediately just drop into this Uncle Martin character, but he's not playing a character that is. i'm trying not to say the word he's not playing a character that is alien in that way but because his alien is less alien than you'd expect in that sense
0: yeah if i can get a little art bell on this i would think that in some ways it suggests to me a situation where there is a connection between humans of earth and humans of mars and they're both human in some sense and maybe the descendants, excuse me, the the ancestors of Earth humans are in fact the the Martian humans. That's one of the reasons why the Martians are so far advanced. But it's also one of the reasons why we're so similar. Is that there's a connection there, hmm. and in some ways it's a a reaching out to to your 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 descendants for a Martian to come to Earth, and in some ways it's learning about somebody from uh, uh, learning about where you came from for an Earthling to be able to talk to a Martian.
1: Some, I, I definitely see what you're describing. The fact that there is such a point made of the anthropology aspect, especially early on, is in, would, would kind of support that. The idea of the, the Martians taking an interest to observe the humans implies a little less – implies at least some interest in them in a way that the way he then tries to backpedal talk doesn't always provide. There's a lot of, you know, we are so far advanced from you, but I take a look at what you're doing. And then you, like, you've spent a lot of time here doing a lot of stuff. We must be interesting in some way for you to put this much energy into us. Because he is not playing a distant observer or uh, anthropologist. He is in there at these historical times talking with figures, name dropping. He is, he's down on the ground getting involved and that's either bad science or good escapism for him
0: yeah i think maybe he's just not the most uh he's he's a an anthropologist who's not necessarily following the most professional standards if i can make another comparison Mm -hmm. he may be from mars but sometimes it seems like he's from gallifrey oh that's a very good point there is a lot of modern doctor who
1: in the way he is playing the Martian character.
0: Right. Or even, even thinking about some of the, the doctor who's at the time, I think Patrick Troughton was playing doctor who around the time this was made. And, you know, there, I could see a certain similarity there. I'm just imagining a crossover episode. <laughs> Doable with different yeah. things, but yeah, the way he cares about earth and the people he meets there reminds me of, of doctor who in, in a number of ways. Mm-hmm. But you're right he's not a detached scientific anthropologist he's maybe it's because he's now crashed I get the impression at first I got the impression that he didn't personally interact with a lot of humans but then as the series goes on as he drops more names and more uh, incidents uh, you get the impression now he's been involved whenever he has visited us and it's he's done that for centuries oh yeah and we we've been talking about the two
1: people in this Okay, let me ask about their house. It's like a little tiny
0: apartment behind the main house on like stilts. What's right. He's like I think it's a part an apartment above the garage of this house. Okay. And the uh the house he he's he rents this apartment. There's a landlady and she's got two daughters, one of whom is I think is more or less Tim's age and the other is much younger. And the daughters are both Very interested in and attracted to Tim, and in in their different ways. And I kind of take it the landlady kind of liked Uncle Martin. Yeah, and I think more we didn't see any episodes that addressed this, but I think more is made of that in some episodes, and they you know have a little bit of a relationship at some point. So there's a lot of
1: sitcom romance, you know, miss the timing kind of humor across this. Yeah. Uh, and and a lot of uh, a nice little triangle for you to uh, to make people mistake things across constantly.
0: Oh, yeah, and and that's where some of the the humor of the awkward comes in. With you've got the young lady trying to seduce Tim, and you've got the the eighteen you know, year old pining for him, and the landlady trying to keep them under control.
1: And then of course, and then possibly being just as bad in certain situations when Martin shows up. I I'm, I take it from later things. But. How do you mean? Uh, in terms of the the triangle and how oh, the, oh, right. the 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 multidimensional polygon these things always twist <laughs> into
0: and it's um i think as often as is often the case in these um kind of high concept sitcoms sometimes the plots are driven by the concept by the fact that there's a Martian living in this guy's apartment pretending to be his uncle and sometimes it's a concept that it's it's a plot that could be in any sitcom and it just plays out in the context of a world in which this guy has a Martian living in his apartment, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And they both, you know, they don't, don't always work. But when they do, you, know, they, you can kind of predict where they're going, but it can still be fun to watch.
1: Oh, yeah. It, 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 it doesn't shy away from some well-laid tracks on certain stories. And that's, that happens differently later Looks like the later seasons deal a little bit less with Martin's powers and more with Martin's inventions. He becomes a little bit more of a an inventor character as he builds things around the house.
0: Yeah, there's part of that. Now we I, you, we we saw the first episode, which was mostly just about the setup. And the second episode we saw What was that more about? I'm drawing a blank even though we just watched them
1: i don't know the second <laughs> episode was still season one and i was just still cringing was, too hard
0: in a lot of ways it was more setup. up but then we watched some of the later ones and it showed how when you're in need of a plot just invent a new power or characteristic of martians out of old cloth because we saw one in which martin was um he he was indecisive he couldn't make up his mind whether he should stow away on an uh A a rocket that was an unmanned rocket being sent back to Mars and therefore go back to his home or stay here on Earth with his new family. And because he was indecisive, he split into three versions of himself, one who was a definite yes on that question, one who was a definite no on that question, and another who was timid and indecisive about everything.
1: So yeah, he becomes he becomes a one a, a one man three
0: man debate team. Right. And you know, very similar to a TV show I saw some years later uh on a an episode of a show that we don't talk about in which a, a certain starship captain is split into multiple people the 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 compassionate but weak side of himself and the the aggressive angry violent side of himself. You've got a very
1: good point there. Yeah, the, the, I, I can't tell if this one was laying the tracks or it was following the tracks of a, a pre-established thing. They also, in that same episode, though, have him invent a machine and get struck by lightning and then claim it to be a, a regular power that Martians have. They give him three different ways to set it up Yeah, well, in the- one move, which is kind of good, like cover all of your bases. You can't have plot holes if everything is spackled.
0: That's also very Doctor Who-like, like like how many different times and ways did did Atlantis sink? But yeah, I was wondering about that. He Eventually he said, well, this is just something that Martians can do. When they are indecisive about something, they split into multiple people and literally argue it out among themselves. Does that mean every time Martians have to do this, they put a rewired popcorn popper on their head and wait for lightning to come? Because that's what happened here. (laughs) There's part of me that thinks that thinks if
1: this is just an ability you have all you're trying to do is rapidly split yourself so that the yes and no survive and indecisive you takes the entirety of the electrical jolt and you still live he's trying to dodge death <laughs> cuz i didn't know where this episode was going to go when they started this in many ways
0: and most of the of the episode was just the humor of these indecisive, and each one independently underpowered Martins being there, and having to avoid other people seeing the multiple Martins, because people nobody besides Tim knows that he's a Martian, still. That's still all the the secret. And, oh, I remembered what the second episode of the first season was. Oh. And now I understand why we forgot it, because it was so incredibly forgettable. Oh. It was... Tim was... Dog sitting his boss's dog. Oh, goodness, yes. his boss's dog was in love with the dog of some young woman who had moved into the neighborhood. And they knew this because, well, Martians can understand what dogs are thinking. They can read canine minds as well as human minds. And it was this weird thing where to keep the dog healthy, they had to let him be near the other dog he was in love with. And that meant Tim had to pretend to be interested in the owner of this other dog, and it was there was and, very very little plot, oh, very yeah. very much awkward situation, sitcom laugh track, boosted humor. Yeah, and this means that he
1: has to make advances on this lady, but that means he also has to get punched in the face by the lady's boyfriend. But it's all to keep the dog happy. It was that sort of thing,
0: right? He and he winds up helping uh, patch things up between the lady and her former fiance, who's her her, her new fiance again. But, uh, yeah, there's not a whole lot of story there. No. no wonder we forgot about it. Oh, my goodness. I'm having, like, flashbacks here because that... Uh, and for all the things that you can do with this setup, that's what they went to for their second ever episode? You get that? The- did, if I were watching this, I mean, put aside the fact that there was, like, nothing on TV at the time, and it was before I was born anyway... If I were watching this when it was new and that's what showed up as the second episode, I don't know that I would watch any more.
1: Yeah, they, this feels like something where the person who wrote the concept and part of that first episode was not always in the writer's room for the rest of it. Because there's something, at the very least for season one, there's something a little bit generic, Wrote, especially if I'm just reading through the descriptions of the episode. It's like, this is a little bit more boilerplate at times, and then after a little while, they get used to the concept and what they can do, and they go from there.
0: Yeah, that second episode could almost have been lifted from a dozen different sitcoms over the course of three decades, and you just do a little bit of rewriting so that it's, well, the Martian mind reading that lets you know that one dog is in love with another as opposed to just an observant veterinarian or something like that.
1: Yeah, it doesn't have a lot for Martin to do. No, no. It was a very... I mean, we like Bale Bixby. He was excellent in most of this. Oh, yeah. he was able to play so much of that awkward well. He was still having to play the awkward, and I... But he was able to do it well, so I was invested in that part. But
0: they didn't do enough with their concept at first. And, you know, we talk about this being, like a lot of sitcoms, having that humor of the awkward situation... Unlike a lot of sitcoms, it isn't usually driven by our protagonist making obviously bad choices. Mhm. So we can still be cringe at the situations he finds himself in and then be pulling for him as he tries to get himself out of them as opposed to I don't care whether you got yourself, whether you get yourself out of this. You were so stupid as to get yourself into it. That's not really the case here. And that's better writing than you sometimes see in sitcoms. There's actually more instances where Tim O'Hara is one of the
1: smarter people in the room. And the problem is not that he is stupid enough to make the mistake, but it's that he's smart enough to notice the problem.
0: And in some ways he, he overthinks things and that can get him into trouble.
1: Hmm. We, we see him be a little bit blind when he's, you know, when he's interested in a lady, he can be a little distracted at times, but he's, they never show him as bad at his job. They actually show him as very dedicated to his newspaper job and to be a person who is smart enough to, like, work around the military attempting to get a flight past him without the coverage happening right or or like being able to put two and two together of the he said that and he said that which means you aren't telling me the thing that actually happened tell me what actually happened as the door gets closed on him
0: and we even see at the very beginning the very first episode the 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 flaw that makes him relatable is the fact that he's a chronic oversleeper and yet we also see the fact that he has placed multiple alarm clocks In Interesting and increasingly inaccessible places in his apartment. So he's smart enough to recognize this flaw and take steps to deal with it. And that helps help helps us both relate to him and admire him at the same time. And it keeps lets him keep his job. I'm sorry. The idea that we're pointing out that
1: oversleeping is one of the relatable character flaws is now just making me imagine uh, Bill Bixby as Tim O'Hara as an anime protagonist running down the
0: street with a piece of toast in his mouth. And he could play that. And I love it. I could absolutely see uh, (laughs) Tim O'Hara running down the street with a piece of toast in his mouth and colliding with the new transfer student as they get to the corner. Yes. Yep. I could totally see that. Hey, we haven't watched all the episodes. Maybe it's in there somewhere.
1: Oh, my goodness. It could be, for all we know.
0: I could see a young Bill Bixby in uh, Love, uh, Bio and Other Delusions. Oh, he could play that.
1: Absolutely. He could play that. Oh, goodness. Bill Bixby is Utah. Um, <laughs> but that right there, it's like, that's another thing. We were talking about time travel uh kind of styling in the way Martin's character is being played. And then the, some of the alarm clock stuff, there's a little bit more of this show in Back to the Future than I expected. Yeah? A little bit of that, you know, in crazy inventor character and the 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 uh, the everyman character dealing with that. I mean, I would not have called uh the I would I would have not called everybody uh, in Back to the Future as sharp at times as the characters, especially in later season, my favorite Martian can be. But there's something a little bit on the same wavelength there in terms of how the dynamic works.
0: Yeah, you're right there. There is a certain there's a certain trope to that kind of of team where you've got the the younger guy who is clever. Charming, a bit fearless, but naive, and you've got the older, more cynical, intelligent, though not necessarily clever in the same way, character that's sort of in a mentor role eventually. Yeah, it, I can see that. You can it, see that in uh, in Back to the Future. You can probably see that in a lot of things. If you break
1: up the concept of the, the classic five-man band a group dynamic for writing, yeah. you get you know the... The, the the main, the lancer, the smart, the the big guy, and the heart. And that's your five-man band in writing. Yeah. But there's always the story where you have the smart and either the heart or the big guy go off onto a one-episode thing. Mm-hmm. And there's very much both of those pieces of media. Feels like that pair going off on their own entire adventure here. And that's a little bit where we get here. There's a lot of... You know heart and energetic charisma character to bill bixby's tim o'hara and then we've got this two like very smart i'm the scientist in the room kind of character with the with martin the martian here and that's always what causes some of the issue or at least gets gets is a major factor in the good ones and that's where you get that dynamic playing in
0: because they can play off of each
1: other having that specialization to some extent
0: and that drives the way they approach some of these plot setups that they give themselves Mm -hmm. the the fourth of the episodes that we saw from their third season was uh, one of the invention driven shows that you mentioned we see martin repairing the the time camera that was built into the front of his spaceship oh and all through the series he's trying to repair his spaceship presumably to go home eventually or, or at least to have that choice and that's one of the the to the extent that it has any kind of an arc that's one of the, the things that continues but he's got this time camera and he's put it into a box so that he can use it as a handheld kind of a polaroid and he takes a picture of tim which shows tim getting married 24 hours in the future and It goes through this, and and he's trying to prevent this from happening, because he doesn't have any plans to get married and doesn't want to get married. And they try to figure out, you know, who could it it possibly be, and how do I stay away from her and all this? And there's a couple of problems I have with this. One is, if it really is taking pictures of what is happening in the future, is that deterministic, or... um, is it one possible future i guess it's one possible future but they just ignore that question the
1: picture still comes out the same way by the end of the episode it's deterministic they prove it because what they see happens the problem is it's a still photo if he had if he, if he had had a time polaroid a, a time camcorder instead of a time polaroid they would have known what to do
0: so maybe and this just occurred to me we just have to as smart as they depict Martin as being, he is a an anthropologist. he's not a physicist. He knows what this camera does, mainly because like it it takes pictures of the future of what's in front of his spaceship to help him avoid collisions, and maybe it didn't occur to him that well, if the picture is the future, there's nothing I can do to change the fact that the future will happen in a way that allows this picture to be taken and you're right ultimately that's that's what happens. And yet they spend the entire episode trying to avoid the circumstances that allowed this picture to be taken.
1: And of course, doing so leads him to leads uh, Tim to cancel a date and try to stay home. But then he gets a call from work and he's too dedicated to work to realize what he's signed up for before it's too late, which involves him going to a club. But now he's surrounded by girls, which is a problem. So they've got to figure out which one is the girl he must wind up with. And they think, well, it can't be that girl you used to date who's over there. Of course, it's her.
0: Played by Yvonne Craig. Yes. Good actress. Great to see Yvonne Craig in uh, in just about anything. Mm-hmm. Which makes me wonder if she showed up in a
1: previous episode. Maybe. Or not. I don't know. I don't know how much consistency they're playing with.
0: You get the impression he has enough dates that he, she may or may, may or may not have shown up any time in the past. But you're right. There could be enough uh, continuity that she did. Mm-hmm. And uh,
1: he winds up... I forget, I don't even remember how he winds up with her in his apartment, which results in, I gotta say, a lovely scene where he tries to figure out if she's the girl who's there by saying he'll sketch her, but that, of course, is considered a problem by her dad who barges in and insists they get married and drives them off to a, like, a, a an on-the-spot wedding
0: place in Mexico. Yeah, they drive to Tijuana to, uh, to go to a, a wedding chapel there. And one of the reasons her her the reason she was there was that she had a boyfriend she really cared about and he she wasn't sure he cared about her. So she was trying to make him jealous. So she was fawning over Tim and making a date with Tim and she went over to his apartment and the club where they went and where she worked as a hat check girl was the like the the kitten club. Yes. Yes. It was like the super tame, made for primetime TV, Playboy Club sort of thing. Yes, and all of the cocktail waitresses and then the hat check girl and such had these kitten costumes. Again, this is looking seeming more and more like an anime every every <laughs> it really episode. Is. Isn't it? My goodness, there really should be an anime version of this, or there has been. So you've got all these uh, girls in the, the the I want to call a cafe in the club in their their kitty outfits, and. They're looking for like a mole that they could see in the picture so they could tell who was right. who.
1: Because the girl's turned away towards the front and they're taking a picture from behind Tim. Oh, that's how they so, why
0: they didn't know what girl was in the picture. Right,
1: but they can see on the mole on her back from her low her low scoop dress. Which is just kind of weird in, in multiple other ways because it's like this is an oddly distinct thing. If it wasn't for that, you'd have no clue, and it would be even more weird. But it also leads to them, like, telekinetically unzipping the back of a lot of ladies' dresses, which seemed awkward.
0: Yeah, that's kind of fraught. I have a little problem with that. <laughs> yeah, that's a problem. I that's don't know, a know that, that would fly today. And, and it's, in, in some ways, you, this whole series, you can kind of see the 60s develop, even in that short period from 1963 to 1966. You go from... What's more of a late 50s culture into more and more of the the again, tame made for primetime TV swinging 60s sort of style.:
1: Oh, we haven't even mentioned the fact that season three is in color, so we finally got to see all of these things in color, and even the even the animated opening.
0: yeah, they spared every expense in colorizing the the cute animated opening. Uh, didn't change anything else, just colored it in
1: Oh yeah. My goodness, that that episode from season three was fraught with problems, but the most fascinating of all of them, because it had much more story cohesion, and it's interesting to see the two of them notice a thing coming up as a problem and work together as a team the entire way. You're right, There yeah. was There wasn't a you versus me or a you make problems for me, it was a both of us have our skill set, and together... We'll try to fix this. There was a team dynamic, and that was a lot more interesting because it gave everyone a chance to shine
0: without undoing anyone else's sting. That's a good point. Early on, it seemed to be more of Martin having a hand in creating the awkward problem, but in the end, having a hand in helping solve it. Here, it was more of a buddy story. And that worked too much
1: of season one. And you'd start to wonder why Tim doesn't just hit Martin over the head with a pan and actually deliver him to the military for the amount of grief he's causing. (laughs) Maybe that's just me, but that's where I was getting to. And season three, it's like, no, you can't do that to your
0: family. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm thinking, you know, we've talked about the anime reboot of this. I think in the, the, the gritty reboot of this, Martin winds up strapped to an autopsy table at some point. Oh yeah, uh, it probably saved at the last minute by yeah, by a fellow Martian or his own powers or something. But,
1: but yeah, there's the the entire setup there has a little bit more. See, season three at least had something driving the plot that wasn't competition,
0: and we've only seen a, a, a little subset of these. We've seen a few episodes. And there are a lot of episodes of this. How many episodes was it there per season? 35 or so per season. There's like over 100 episodes of this in total for a, uh, a three-season TV series. They made a lot of TV for a season way back then. That's, I think, why I didn't think it was three seasons, why I thought it was like four or five, because yeah. it might have been
1: broken up differently for certain releases, because my goodness, this is, this is a lot of
0: show. Yeah, this was more than 10 episodes higher than your average episode count for a an American TV series these days. Um, but they're yeah, not they, short they episodes. No, no, I think they come out to about 24 minutes, a few minutes longer than today's cuz probably a, f- a bit fewer um uh fewer commercial breaks or or shorter commercials at the time. So yeah, they were uh, they they produced a lot of TV. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we're judging this whole three-season series on uh, a relatively small subset to some extent i 'm also judging it on my memory of this, but that 's very foggy, so this is one of those series what yeah there's
1: always there's always an interesting story behind like w- how you interacted with some of these because I want to know like was this something that just popped on on t v every once in a while, or is this something that you remember being a regular thing that someone would want to watch and something like that?
0: Now, this is a series that I remember from being very, very young. And home from school with a fever, oh, <laughs> or something, because it was, of course, it was as I say, it was, it was long done before I was born, but well, not long done, kind of ended probably around that time. But anyway, it was before my time, but it was on reruns. A lot, reruns were a big thing on network affiliate TV stations at the time, and it there were usually there's a block in the morning when there were reruns of old sitcoms. And when I was home from, from school and I was sick and I was able to watch TV on our portable TV, this is one of the things that was on, so I would watch it. This and a few others that will, and the Munsters and the Addams Family were among those, and this was another, uh, probably some other shows that we'll eventually get to. So this is one of those, I watched it randomly, whatever episode happened to show up, I probably paid two-thirds attention to it. So it was this kind of media presence without my ever having paid that much attention to it and without my ever having been old enough to really understand a lot of it anyway. It was just on. Okay.
1: Does it make any more sense now that you've seen it than it did when you had a fever as a child?
0: I understood the the premise of it well enough, even though I had never seen the pilot. It was, it's, doesn't take that much to figure out what's going on. There's the old guy from Mars. He's pretending to be the young Earth guy's uncle. But I understand a bit more about the characters. I understand more about the, the male-female dynamics that are part of almost every episode. Um, so it's definitely a different take on it. And yet there's nothing that's surprising to me. Nothing like, oh, gosh, this is nothing like I remembered. Yeah, it's pretty much what I remembered. It's my favorite Martian. How complicated can it be? I can understand that. And there's probably a lot of things, some of which we've talked about, but a lot of things where they didn't have a huge impact on me. They were just part of the landscape. But those things set a
1: baseline for what everything else you interacted with would be. If there's a show that you remember being on TV that had a premise or a setup, that can be something that at very least, even if that's not the show that hooked you, it means that when you see something else with a similar piece of something you're already a little more used to it from exposure to that concept in general. Mm -hmm. There's plenty of stuff on our shelves here with aliens and such that you're fans of that I wonder if just
0: the fact that you were okay with a show with a Martian didn't help with. That's an interesting point I never really thought about because it was, and we talked about this a little bit in our Project UFO uh, episode. It wasn't that many years later that I discovered all the paranormal and UFO books in the the public library and started reading them voraciously. Who knows? Maybe this planted the seed for my being interested in that.
1: Did, so, it didn't hurt the groundwork.
0: Yeah. I never did meet an Uncle Martin, though. I had plenty <laughs> of other uncles, but not an Uncle Martin.
1: Yeah. Sounds like we might be leading into our
0: final questions, though. I think so. I think so. So, uh... uh a TV series. The The first question is binge or no binge. Oh.
1: oh, this comes with a sigh to begin with. Because honestly, after those first two episodes, I was so nails on a chalkboard. Riled up and like, I couldn't withstand another episode of this show. I was feeling pain. It was hurting me because it is... It, it was concept I wanted to like, filled to the brim with things I was having trouble with in terms of that sitcom nature. It's like a lovely pastry full of the most disturbing cream. <laughs> it's like, what is this?
0: Why did you make it like a, a, a I don't know. A, a tuna-filled croissant. Like why? Actually, that, that sound. sounds like a sandwich. Ian. I think I'm a sandwich. <laughs> uh, my
1: metaphors break down in the presence <laughs> of how much this messed with me. Right. Season one is not to go into. That's the dark lands we don't touch. But you know what? Seasons two and three. That's that's actually some bright sunny areas. This is all our kingdom. I liked those other two episodes enough to actually say binge starting after season one binge two and three skip one you'll get the premise but don't don't put yourself through one
0: i you know i was kind of in a similar spot we watched the first couple of episodes of season one and i thought gosh there must have been nothing on tv back when i was a kid if i actually watched this voluntarily because man this is not good I uh, All credit to the actors who are in it, they're capable and charming, but this is not good. And yet, you're right, there's something in those later episodes that, I don't know if it's the writing got better, or they just hit their stride with the characters, but it was, it was entertaining. So, I was all set to say, don't binge. I'm still not a firm, solid, you've got to watch this, definitely binge. But, yeah, maybe watch the first episode, just so you see how the it was set up at the beginning you see the premise again not that it's that complicated and then skip as far ahead as you want to start with the second season and watch it from there and you'll probably enjoy those more
1: mhm but my goodness those like after that first episode that dog episode was painful that dog episode was painful
0: it just seemed so forced and so unnecessary and it's if and if you're if you're this far down to the bottom of the barrel for story ideas in your second episode, how did you sustain this for three seasons? And yet. That for some reason, they had that terrible dip at that point, and yet then they got so much better. I was feeling sorry for our man Bixby here that he went through this show <laughs> I, I, he, he deserved been, better. He deserved better than season one of My Favorite Martian. So then our second question, revive, reboot or rest in peace? Uh oh, I think I'm going to throw you on this one. I'm saying
1: reboot. Reboot, huh? I'm saying reboot. I revive would would involve you having to imply Martin was around was stuck around for all this time. Doable, but yeah. I kind of want to see them take this premise and run with it. Give me something that is Oh, how do I describe this? X-Files meets Big Bang Theory in a blender. Something with a little bit more, uh, and maybe a little bit more of that kind of, you know, Buffy or Firefly, Whedon-esque, semi-episodic, but with a through line that keeps a season cohesive kind of style. But I think the whole found family aspect... I think that in an era of TV right now that has to commentate on a world that is a little bit more xenophobic at times than it likes to, being able to give a alien character who can be interestingly relatable or who can parallel and mirror, and if you want to lean into the anthropology, make commentary on certain social things without without having to be heavy because it could be put into a show a little bit more naturally, a show which would let you have two characters who are smart on different things work together as a team and teach each other things. I want to see a a Tim O'Hara who is noted at work for getting better with the tech aspects and with a Martin who has watched from the sidelines. Don't make him interact. Make him watch from the sidelines with humanity for all this time but is finally learning how to have like small talk in a room because he's awkward in that sense, show them being positive influences on each other, working together. You could make a good show out of this. And I think a good revival, a good, a good reboot. I mean, a good reboot could do a lot with that.
0: So I, I'd say, don't let this sit. I'd say work with it. That, uh, that could be interesting. I, I was all set to say, rest in peace. It's tempting to think about a revival if only because their own premise seems to make that possible with the fact that Martians like Martin will have an what seems to be an indeterminately long lifespan. You could say, yeah, Martin's still around in the uh, the 21st century. And there's, you know, maybe eventually Tim got married and now he's got grown sons of tim o'hara that he's mentoring but you know i i am still saying rest in peace i can understand i i can see your points about reboots i think that i could definitely see spiritual successors to this but i don't know that there's enough to a a reboot would be so different it might as well just be something new
1: i see what you mean it doesn't have to carry the, the the title of this
0: Yeah. Exactly. And I have to acknowledge there was a reboot, What? there was a 1999 feature film. Why during that period, we talked about the Brady Bunch movies and there was a time when like half the movies getting greenlit were feature versions of old sitcoms. There was a My Favorite Martian movie in 1999 starring Jeff Daniels and Christopher Lloyd as the Martian. Okay, what? And I didn't even know this when I made the Back to the Future references. I've never seen it. Don't have a particular interest in seeing it. I mean, I like Jeff Daniels, but where's Bill Bixby? And um, uh, so I I don't know anything about that. I don't know that there was anything particularly interesting or groundbreaking about that movie version. I don't think there was anything particularly interesting or groundbreaking about any of those sitcom-based movies from the 90s. But I just wanted you to be aware, it's out there.
1: Oh my goodness, that's kind of fun. I don't know what to think here. I don't want to go watch that movie, but I don't know what to think.
0: No, no, i sorry to disappoint you, but, uh, anybody out there, but I don't think we'll be watching that or commenting on that. Huh. But I think that uh, that kind of sums up uh, where we are on uh, on My Favorite Martian. I think it does. We both I think in the end we both enjoyed it more than we expected to. It took a little while though.
1: We had the the it it required us going forward in time to see stuff later for me to to get into it because goodness that dog episode.
0: <laughs> that almost killed it for us right there. Oh, that really almost did. But yeah, we did enjoy it and we hope you enjoyed this uh this podcast. We certainly enjoyed doing them. Thank you uh, as always. For downloading and for listening, and we'll be back in a couple of weeks with um, with more tales of media from the twentieth century. But in the meantime, Ian, where can people find you?
1: I'm available on Twitter at Item Crafting and
0: on Twitch as Item Crafting Live. And you can reach me on Twitter at at by Matthew Porter. You can reach me at uh, the website MatthewFPorter.com, which has links to uh, anything else I'm doing and you can reach the podcast at the uh, on any uh, uh podcasting uh program that you use but you can find us at the website immproject.com and there you will find uh, links to our discord to the patreon page where you can help support the podcast and keep it going you will soon see a link there to our relaunched store where you can purchase merchandise about the immp and things that we've watched and uh, was there something else? I guess that was it. Oh, also, the, the podcast has its own Twitter account at IMPcast,
1: And we'd love to hear from you about what, what you thought of the things
0: we watched. Yes, please uh, let us know um, what, uh, uh, what uh, you'd like to see. To tell us what you watched when you were home from uh, school with a fever when you were a kid. <laughs> and in the meantime, go find something new to watch.